Hello and welcome to this episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast that delves into the worlds of natural building, permaculture, and regenerative living. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. Let's get started. Today I had the pleasure of talking with Liz Jondro. Liz is by far one of the most knowledgeable and thorough natural building instructors that I've had the pleasure of working with. I first met Liz when I assisted on one of her natural building workshops at Atitlan Organics here on Lake Atitlan, Guatemala, in which we covered a ton of material including bamboo framing, cob and adobe mixing, a number of different earthen wall systems including the indigenous bajareque, which is a local type of wattle and daub, and covered a ton of material about roofs, natural foundations, plasters, and even tadalac. In this episode, Liz talks about how she got started first in natural building and her journey in learning a number of different techniques, as well as timber framing, straw bale, and later getting into specializing in plasters. She talks about some of her projects here in Central America, including the Pueblo Project, in which she works with indigenous communities in Nicaragua. We also talk about the importance of including women in the process of construction and design and how much it can do for the community by including them in these processes. Liz is an absolute wealth of information and experience, so I hope you enjoy this interview. Here we go. I'm here today with Liz Jandro. Welcome and thank you for spending some time. Thanks for having me. So let's get right into it. What first got you interested in natural building? Well, probably when I was really small. I like to tinker lots with uh, wood and stuff in my dad's wood shop and started small with things like tinker toys and continued learning with my brother who was a carpenter when I was in my teens and um, initially I was on a women's carpentry crew in my early 20s and then I took a long break from building but I always loved to work with my hands and work with wood and and build things. That's great. So you actually had some members of your family who helped to, to guide you into it as well, and then you took courses. Um, yeah, my you know I grew up in your typical. Um, the boys got all the cool tools, and I just followed along and um, tried to get my hands on them. And I had a um, yeah one brother who is still a carpenter. He's a finished carpenter for his whole life, and um, I got to work with him early on, and then. Um, I found a group of women who brought me onto their crew and were my first teachers. And um, yeah, I didn't start taking courses till um, decades later. Uh, I had uh, a couple of decades of raising a child and being a massage therapist in between. And then I got back to using my hands on building again. So I've always worked with my hands, even when I was a massage therapist, obviously. Yeah, sure. <laughs> now, I know you've worked with a lot of different types of natural materials. I can't even keep track of all of them. But of all the different options of natural building materials, straw bales, adobe, what have you, what made you choose to focus on the ones that you have? Um, well, probably some of them that I focused on is my love of the materials. So I discovered working in cob and mud and I love the sculptural aspect of that and 
was definitely a continuation of my massage work. And, um, you know, I just love uh, kind of manipulating and sculpting with my hands. And then as far as like working with wood, I think it really um, appealed to a part of me that wanted to um, strengthen being more precise. And so I've always been fascinated with um, the precision of working with wood and the sculptability and creativity of working with earth. So those have always gone together and continue to be probably the two main materials that I work with. So I went back into your website and kind of took a look at the evolution of some of the structures that you've worked on. Is it true that one of your first ones was a timber frame home with straw bales? Yeah. And where was that? So my first, um, well, my very first straw bale that I worked on um, was in Utah. And then the next one that I worked on from foundation to completion was a timber frame straw bale in Vermont. And how did you go from those materials into Adobe and eventually working in Central America? Yeah, so I didn't really know or think I'd ever be working with Adobe. I was living in Vermont. I was working with wood and straw and, and a little bit of clay and a lot of lime plasters. And I just was looking for... Um, my work was really meaningful, but I was looking for something with deeper meaning for my, um, my personal life. And I decided to volunteer in Central America one winter. And I suddenly, um, realized I was in the middle of, um, earth and architecture everywhere. And it made a lot of sense to delve into that and help um, communities do improvements on their existing adobe and earthen architecture. <laughs> so I, um, I didn't really intentionally seek that out, but it came into my life. Sure. Now you have also a lot of experience with natural plasters and finishes and I've even worked and learned with one of my favorite teachers, Carol Cruz from Taos, New Mexico. What are some of the most important things that beginners should know before they choose a certain type of natural finish for either a natural home or even for conventional homes? Well, I think one of the first things they should know is that um, natural materials are, um, are a bit more vulnerable than some conventional materials and that it's important to know that when you're building with natural materials, there's um, a lifetime of maintenance as well. And that's probably the first thing you should know is that you're going to, um, if you put clay on your walls, it's probably best that you love those walls for the lifetime of those walls. And, um, so that takes a lot of time and time and energy. So I feel like natural building requires more time and energy than other materials once you get them on your walls. So then what are some of the trade-offs? If it costs a little bit more in energy and maybe even education to get started using them, what are the benefits? Why should someone choose these over more conventional or industrial products? Well, um, good question. Um, I think, first of all, you know, we live on a planet with finite resources and 
um, you know, to be considerate of how the impact on the environment um, with the resources we choose to use is um, a really important consideration. And um, raw materials, some of them can be reproduced. Um, others, like like clay soils, are you know they're there in abundance and they require very little embodied energy to get them from the ground to the wall. And so, from an environmental impact um, perspective, it's a good way to go. And um, in places I work in Central America, there um, people have more time uh, than money, and so even though natural materials are more labor-intensive to extract and um, work with, generally, they're um, affordable. Certainly, yeah, so. there's that benefit. Yeah. Now that's mostly talking about clay plasters. For those who aren't yet familiar with Tadalac. Could you explain a little bit about what Tadalact is and some of the applications that it's used for? Yeah, so Tadalact is a, um, a Moroccan lime plaster technique. Um, was discovered centuries ago and was originally used for um, water containments and cisterns. And then as it evolved, um, it became a lot more of a decorative element in Moroccan architecture, but we've, um, as we use it in our, our part of the world, it's become, since it's come here in modern times, it's usually found um, to be used in like showers and places where you want to create a beautiful, highly polished finish that has a high water resistance. Now, why would you go through the trouble of using this rather than something like cement, especially in applications of earthen walls or natural materials? Well, I think largely it's an aesthetic. Um, people that are drawn to putting the time and energy into natural plasters that are clay or lime or even as refined and labor-intensive as Tadalact um, do it because they love... The look and the feel and the aesthetic of it. Um, people who are really sensitive to their um, interior environments um, often feel that these more natural materials feel better. And there are some studies that show that uh, more natural um, materials that mimic nature and are part of nature more more naturally. Um, can can have an, a positive impact on your immune system and your mood. So there's a whole spectrum of um, impact on a human being using these materials. So, uh, but mostly I'd say it's like it's an aesthetic. Okay. Yeah. Now we've talked about clay plasters, a little about lime plasters. There are a couple of other kind of minor options and a whole lot of different types of mixes that you can combine all of these things with. Could you explain some of the reasons why someone would want to choose a certain type of plaster or finish over another? Um, what are some of the benefits and disadvantages of some of the main types of plaster? Well, the main ones that I work with are clay-based or lime-based. Um, and 
the other type of render stucco would be a cement based um and then there's combining and um combining those and so um again clay-based plasters are very easy to apply very easy to maintain very forgiving to a beginner who's learning how to um do plasters um clay-based plasters are just hydration and dehydration so it allows you to uh, rehydrate them and fix them if you're um, in the process of doing it or as you maintain your walls so uh, clay would be the kind of a great beginner's plaster but it's going to be probably the most vulnerable because if it gets rehydrated in a rain or something it's going to get weakened and um, can uh, fall apart some so you have to realize when you do clay plasters that they tend to be a little more vulnerable and you have to you have to consider that but they're easy to maintain so um, a lot of people prefer them for that reason um, they also have a very soft feel to them um, and people prefer that now limes a, uh, a stronger plaster and it um, it can handle um, weather, humidity, and direct moisture uh, much better than clay. Um, but it doesn't necessarily do so great in exteriors in climates where you get a lot of moisture into the wall and then it freezes and thaws. So there's limitations with the lime, but it is more durable than the clay generally. So it also has a curing process, so it gives you less time to be able to fuss with it, and you can't just re-wet it to fix it. And it's a little bit more challenging to repair it and maintain it. So you've kind of stepped up in durability, but you've also stepped up in um, skill level and um, challenges with maintaining. And then we won't really talk about cement here. One thing I do want to talk about, cement though, <laughs> tell me why you wouldn't want to use cement on especially earthen walls. Well, um, what I found, I haven't seen that much cement on earthen walls until I came to Central America. Um, and what I saw immediately was these uh, earthen, these adobe homes that had never been plastered. There's not a tradition in the pueblos that I initially ended up in, there's not a tradition of plastering. And what's recently happened is um, with block, with concrete block being um, coming into the um, building, the construction scene in these countries, um, uh, cement stucco is put on the block, and people like the look of this this plaster this stucco so then architects and builders started putting the cement stucco on these adobe houses and i saw um a lot of cement plasters or stuccos on adobe that were one or two years old that um were already falling off because they don't um they don't connect to the to the adobe and so it basically makes this hard skin that's not really hanging on it's more like it's a shell and so as soon as any moisture gets under it um, it tends to 
make the adobe swell a little bit and creates a crack in this cement shell and then it just starts to just fall off. It's not holding on at all. If you wrap the whole adobe building in um, wire or you know some kind of mesh um, it would less likely fall off but it still holds moisture in there and causes problems and degrades the adobe and it, they're just not a good um, pairing. Yeah, they're not really compatible in yeah, that way. Yeah. Their properties kind of fight each other. Um, I, I don't know about you, but um, since we both worked in the southwest of the United States, there's been a lot of examples of that in even the communities around Taos. That historical church, the San Francisco de Assisi, mm-hmm. uh, was one of the more famous examples of, you know, it had been plastered with mud annually for hundreds of years. And then somebody got the bright idea to cover it in cement stucco. And over the course of about, I think, 25 or 30 years between the 50s and the 70s, people didn't realize the effect of what had happened. And they the couldn't interior, see what was going on. Yeah, it stopped that. it from seeing, but it kept the moisture in, and mm-hmm. it created a huge amount of erosion in the interior of the adobe. And when they finally figured this out, they had to take everything off, do major reconstruction on the the walls and the interior and now they've gone back to annually replastering it with mud right right and uh yeah that's one of the more famous examples but yeah so it's a high maintenance but the community comes together every year and maintains it and if there's anything happening it's highly visible so um putting anything on a building or you know in a situation where you can't see what's happening under it is probably not a good idea Sure, yeah, it definitely makes the, the troubleshooting or, or identifying where there's problems a whole lot more difficult. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit here, you've talked a little of your work in Central America. Tell me a little bit about the Pueblo Project. So the Pueblo Project is um, a small, well, we grassroots organization that um, I began after, so I, I originally went to Nicaragua in 2011, and I spent several months there. Um, I went down to volunteer and I just really wanted to learn Spanish and um, have a cultural experience and offer whatever I could offer to the community I was staying with. I didn't know whether I'd be working in a health center or what I'd be doing, but once I got there and I saw the, um, the earth and architecture and I saw the failing cement stuccos and I just saw this huge potential to... Um, support these women in these communities to beautify in their homes with really simple, affordable changes. So I went back, um, well, the first year we built a community center and several women's uh, organizations were involved and um, we built that in a community in northern Nicaragua of um, Sabana Grande with an organization Grupo Phoenix and that uh, learning center that we built that year continues to be the laboratory and the um, yeah the natural building laboratory where when a new skill is learned or a skill is improved upon they go back to that space and in, and often in um, international aid kind of uh, situations buildings happen really quickly and the organizations leave and the buildings always look best day one and then they start to look worse and worse and worse and we've had an opposite effect with this community where this building looks better and better and better all the time so that really 
showed me that um, there was something to be followed up on here. And so I've continued to go back. Um, this will be my sixth season. And we have now grown into a small organization. And um, what we focus on is um, building skills that can be transferred within these communities using local raw materials, doing modern adaptations on their traditional architecture of adobe and other styles of earthen building, and giving women and youth priority in learning these skills and having opportunity to use these skills within their homes, within their families, and within their communities. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the mission and vision of the Pueblo Project. And so how do some of these projects get started? How do the workshops go, and where do you find participants? So um, in, all the in all the communities I've worked, on, worked in, I've gone through a local organization that has a similar kind of a mission of empowering women or giving the community um, um, skills that will help with resiliency in... Um, you know, these times of climate change and giving them opportunities to improve upon, um, you know, their lives within the limits of what exists in their culture and environment at this time. So um, what has happened is these different organizations, they have a different focus than us, but they have this overall vision that's similar. So um, approached our work through a woman's renewable energy organization, a agricultural organization, a woman's carpentry school, and we're hoping um, we have connections with a woman's beekeeping um, cooperative. And so these are all the groups that we go through into the community and um, invite the women and youth of those communities to come participate in these workshops. And then once that is established, we might open the workshop to international um, folk to create a bit of a inter um, exchange um, kind of a, a learning environment. But primarily we focus on the women and the youth of the communities first. That's fantastic. Now you were talking about how some of your projects have had the opposite effect as other organizations going in there where uh, the projects that you start actually improve in your absence rather than degrade as you know so many other projects do for lack of maintenance, lack of funding or something once the organization leaves. How do you think that uh, you've been able to achieve that and what have been some of the effects on the community that have helped to sustain your projects? Well, um, choosing organizations that um, are interested, really truly interested in what we have to offer, as opposed to us just like trying to really put it onto um, those communities. So um, trying to draw out organizations and communities that um, truly can do some follow-up, even if we financially help with that, but that they can do some follow-up. Um, going back season every year and seeing what skills they've carried on with so we begin to learn what they're interested in truly as opposed to what they might pretend they're interested in because they're being offered something 
Um, so giving them time and space to take the skills and then see what happens with that. And then in the next course, reinforce those skills. So being able to be flexible and following the um, interests of each of the communities. Um, what else works for us? I guess, um, yeah, mostly really just returning and reinforcing the skills and the confidence building and the opportunity to do more. And I think a lot of what I love to do is beautifying. So even if we're just doing a plaster and a, and a clay sculpted wall, it, um, it can really excite the community and a lot of people will want that. So then we can also add the composting toilet and the improved cook stove and um, the improved adobe technique. But sometimes it's just starting with a simple community um, mural made with clay plasters and paints or something. Sure, and so, I can imagine with each new project, you establish a more profound relationship with the communities that you work with and uh, gain a rapport and an amount of uh, respectability that adds credentials to whatever other initiative you're taking on there. Now, you said that you've been going back for six seasons now? This will be my sixth season. Okay. Yep. And where do you see the project advancing in the years to come, the seasons to come? Well, right now we're shifting in this year, we're shifting from um, doing a lot of workshops and community buildings to um, teaching. So we've started a, a program we're calling um, Training the Trainers. So we have all these students from the past five seasons who are really strong in the practical skills. We've given them lots of opportunities to um, learn how to do plasters well and earthen floors well and adobe well and all these different things. They can do them really well. And now because they're in very rural communities and they haven't had a lot of education opportunity, um, now we're focusing on giving them some really solid um, training on teaching others. So this season we're going to go into those communities where we've been working and actually do week-long training the trainer um, facilitation where they'll actually um, have opportunities to be up in front of a classroom or in front of a group and get feedback and evaluation and skills and tools to to teach classes so we're feeling like we're trying to you know work ourselves out of a job there and that eventually we'll just go down to um, you know, see what exciting things they've created. And if we have some new skill like Tadillact that we might introduce, we'll do a little workshop. And But we're, we're shifting towards um, focusing on making them the teachers. And so I think we'll have uh, hopefully less and less presence in a lot of ways. And then being able to start focusing in other parts of the world. Fantastic. So, yeah. Now, one of the things that I really admire about your work, I want to take some time to talk about, I know you're a big proponent of bringing women into natural building and also the design and construction process in general. Can you tell me a little bit about why this is so important for moving forward and what are we missing by keeping construction sites so male-dominated? Well, I think I've had different experiences in different parts of the world. So when I'm working in Central America, when I'm working in a small rural community where the household is 100% run by the woman, she might even be a single mom with 
a bunch of kids. It's not a, that uncommon. Um, that is her household. That is her house. And um, to have so little um, say over the design and the construction and the layout of it um, makes so little sense to me <laughs> that um, in a place like that, giving and these women know how to work hard <laughs> they work very oh, hard yeah. already so simply giving them more skills they're already very hard working they already know what is going to well they have some idea what kind of design is going to work best for them in a kitchen and a garden and you know the whole space of their home um yeah just giving them tools and opportunity um, that in a way just allows them to do what they need to do in their own home. And it doesn't really take them out into the world of construction, but what we have been able to do, um, because that's a huge hurdle in a place like, you know, Central America, but what we have been able to do is bring them into workshops and bring some local builders into the workshop and really help them understand um, the prejudice around gender and construction and give often give these men an opportunity to work alongside these women in a new way and gain the respect of um, that they simply weren't working alongside them because of just some cultural bias has nothing to do with capability and um, you know the ability to do do the work so that's probably what we've done most um, in you know the work I'm doing in Nicaragua um, of course in the States women have so much more opportunity it still um, can be scary to step into a construction site and I've heard this from many women um, and I think that's why uh, natural building is just such a wonderful um, it's just a wonderful place for women to be recognized because they are so drawn and comfortable to working with um, all these natural materials and it doesn't go immediately to maybe some intimidating elements like lots of power tools right at the beginning or, or something like that. It gives, um, you know, cob uh, can be a great gateway drug to natural building and you know it's just mixing <laughs> some you know it. clay and sand and straw and water yeah. and so it's a little like you know baking. It's, a soft entry. it's a little like cooking so sure. maybe it's not so you know out of the realm of comfort and um so you know just being able to step in and start to feel these materials that are familiar and then start to take them and you know construct with them is um a comfortable place for a lot of women and so I think the natural building movement has been very very supportive of bringing women in now as far as that whole like construction site vibe um, it's still there and we're just just something that's got to be talked about and and women continue to pioneer and and keep talking about it and have men listen and we'll get there someday <laughs> So. As long as we're making steps in the right direction. Yeah. I agree. I've, I've found that since I switched over to working on natural building sites and less within, you know, industrial construction and, you know, maritime engineering is where I started as well. Um, the attitude and the, I don't know, the, the general feel and 
I would say the communication that is facilitated by including more people, uh, especially within these natural building sites that I've worked on, um, has created an environment of better understanding and a lot of great new ideas for the inclusion of more people being involved. Um, and I, I really love that aspect about what you promote in your workshops and through your website and through your projects as well. So, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Before I let you go here, would you like to describe for the listeners how they could get in touch with you, how they could find you and your projects, especially the Pueblo projects, and possibly even donate? Yeah, that's always a great idea, donating. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so um, I have, you can find me on Facebook. I have um, my business page, Earthen Endeavors Natural Building, and I also have... Um, Nicaragua Pueblo Project um, is the other Facebook page. And then I have a website for both. So uh, Nicaragua Pueblo Project.org and earthenendeavors.com are two places. Um, I have on both of those contacts for my um, email, but it's naturalplasters at gmail.com. On the Pueblo project page it's really easy to go to the give page and donate um through um we have a fiscal sponsor way of compassion that allows for tax deductible donations and we rely a hundred percent at this point on your donations and a hundred percent goes to the projects we have pretty much zero administrative costs at this time the money goes directly to the communities and getting us to the communities to work with the women and youth. So um, it's dollars well given and well spent. Well, thank you so much for taking time, Liz. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm going to miss you when you leave. Today's yeah, your last thanks. day in Guatemala, and it's been such a pleasure working with you and uh, watching you teach. I've learned a ton in the few weeks that we've gotten to, to spend together. So thank, thank you. you very much. Thanks, Oliver. All right, take care. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can go to AbundantEdge.com to find more information and the show notes on this episode, as well as a variety of educational articles on natural building, permaculture, and regenerative living. You can also find a full range of services that we offer on contracting, consulting, and design. One last bit of important information. I would really love to hear some feedback from you listeners. This is not meant to be a one-way lecture series, but rather a dialogue especially in the early stages of me getting this podcast off the ground. All of your contribution and feedback help me to make these episodes so much better. If you find these episodes valuable, I hope you will like and share this content. Share it with your friends and others who are interested in learning more about the topics that we cover. Thank you so much to all of you who continue to contribute to the wealth of knowledge online and in forums, and I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>